Welcome to the Scale Up Valley podcast, where we bring the best of the best to help you scale your business from 1 million to 1 trillion. Today's guest is Christy Falterusso, the VP of CS at Client Success and also the founder of CS Real Simple. Christy, welcome back to the show. Mike, thanks so much for having me back. I am thrilled for today's conversation. Absolutely. But for the ones who didn't have the, the chance and, and the luxury of getting to know you, uh, who is Christy? Oh, gosh, what a loaded question. <laughs> well, we'll just start with the basics. Um, Christy Felteruso, as Mike mentioned, Vice President of Customer Success at Client Success and the founder of CS Real Simple. I've spent the past decade building, scaling, and transforming customer success organizations to drive retention, growth, and advocacy um, in hyper-growth SaaS businesses. So that is a bit about my story. Um, I've had a great run along the way, and I'm really excited right now because in my current role, I'm actually supporting customer success. So it is customer success technology for customer success. So I am CS for CS. Exactly. I love it. And would you like also to give a, an overview or a, an highlight on the CS Real Simple that I think it's, it's really, really interesting, the content that you've been sharing on social media? Absolutely. And thank you so much. Yeah. So CS Real Simple is my like little baby pet project that really was founded out of you know, the past couple of years in speaking with the community, having conversations with folks like you, um, really just understanding that, you know, the industry as a whole had been overcomplicating things, in my opinion, right? I think we take these really simple objectives and we overcomplicate them, right? And so right. what I've decided to do is create a brand that was solely focused on the simplification of all of that. So the work that we do is not complicated. It's just hard right? Like it's, it's hard to do the work that we do. So all of my content um, is really structured in that way. So I break down playbooks, program strategies, uh, different pieces of content in a very simple, easy way to follow kind of format. Infographics are kind of my thing. I like a good visual. I think the visual representation of it breaks it down, makes it easy and fun to consume. So that is a bit about the brand and what I'm trying to achieve. Love it. That's, that's really a great project and congrats for, for that you. one as well so yeah let's let's go into into the into the main topics of the show so we typically discuss the importance of radical focus world-class leadership and the execution operating system to to scale a company but of course uh, we will go very uh, oriented to to cs and, and to your patient uh, patient areas but uh, in terms of bringing radical focus for for a team uh Sometimes it's it's difficult because we want to make every single customer on the customer base successful, and we don't want to have any shirt at all. So how, how do you bring focus when when you have uh, a CEO that wants uh, every single customer to be successful and to not lose any single customer? Yeah. So I mean, obviously that's not easy. It's also not possible. Um, you know, <laughs> customers are going to stay. Customers are going to go. Ideally, you want more of them to stay than go. But you do really have to prioritize, right? And you have to stay focused. Not every customer who you're trying to save should be saved. And that's the reality of it. So Absolutely. what I've always done is, uh, you know, really kind of just articulated a very core, you know, specific principle or a core metric that we're building or working towards and mm -hmm. really built my entire program around supporting that one thing. 
Um, and that is kind of where my hyper focus comes in, right? So in some cases, it is that retention. And, some, and for some businesses I've worked for, it's been logo retention, right? We want to keep the customers. That was more important in some companies than even keeping the revenue. So making concessions where we had to, right? So you would do kind of whatever you did, but we had that one core focus of like, keep the customer, other companies was really all focused on growth. And so really figuring it out through data, you had to have really maniacal focus on all of the data around your customers to say, if I lose a dollar, where am I gaining a dollar? But you got to make it up somewhere if net revenue retention was that focus. Um, exactly. So I think it's really just about that, right? Like figuring out what it is that North Star for you. You can't have 10 priorities. It defeats the purpose. So what is the one thing you want to focus on? And then everything you and your team and your organization does needs to support the execution of that. Absolutely. And it's really important to have that repeatable, profitable and scalable uh, revenue machine. And that starts with the retention engine, not with uh, the acquisition engine. Of course, you need to acquire customers to have, to have the luxury of retaining them. If there is no acquisition, there is no retention. But at a certain point, if the retention engine is broken, uh, it will create a, a huge problem uh, growing the company. And if the retention engine is working super, super well, it will even help the acquisition engine to to work well so that's why the nrr over 100 or 102 140 might be able to contribute with 20 or 40 percent to the to the growth of the company through the customer uh, base um but within that customer base there are different verticals different geographies uh, different sizes of companies so what are some of your tips to kind of prioritize even in terms of the customer base of of even maybe, or does it make sense to you to prioritize logo retention or net revenue retention across specific niches within the customer base? I think it's important to understand user behavior at your organization, mm -hmm. right? Because some customers, some verticals, some industries might perform longer long-term, right? The problems that you're solving for them might be more significant and therefore their growth trajectory might be faster. So I'm really big on understanding the data narrative behind your customer base. So you really have to unpack that. I think once you understand what the data is telling you, you can start to derive a good strategy to build and support that. So for me, what I've always been focused on is really trying to figure out what is the behavior in like customers, meaning customers of a certain size, customers of a certain geography, customers of a certain industry or vertical, right? How do they behave? And then what do we need to do to support the positive outcome of retention for those customers. Now, in some cases, you obviously have to build in also what is the cost of that, that retention, um, which I don't feel like a lot of companies really focus on that, but you've got retention mm -hmm. costs built in and that comes in by the way of the people supporting it, whether that be customer success, support, if you've got a renewals team, the technology to process all that stuff, right? There is a cost of doing business. So I need to figure out where am I going to be the most profitable also? So where are my cogs? What are all those levers that I have to pull? And once I understand all of that, I can come up with a strategy, right? Which is going to tell me if I invest X and I have my people doing Y, it's going to yield Z, right? And so I've got to be able to see that formula so you can make it repeatable. And, you know, I'm big on solving for the 80-20, right? 80% of your customers, it's got to work for them. It's not going to work for 100% because there's always going to be outliers. There's always going to be reasons or things that happen. I think the pandemic last year was a great example of like, 
things happen and you can't control everything. But, you know, if you are very specific in your focus areas and you understand how to engage, how to support, how do you, you know, kind of matriculate those customers through your journey appropriately, what signals to look for, you should be able to get to a good positive end goal. Absolutely. Got it. That's a very good point. So, and moving into the, to the number two, and we can come back to, to focus uh, again, of course, world-class leadership. So how would you structure, how do you ensure that you have the right people on the right seats for each stage of growth? And, and also, I, I think it's really important to make them a team, right? And I know that you work a lot uh, on them, supporting them individually and, and collectively. So how would you structure uh, the perfect CS team? <laughs> well, to your point, uh, CS organization looks very different at a two-year-old SaaS company, you know, seed funding or maybe even Series A versus a public company, right? Um, they're going to look very different. They operate they behave different, um, different layers of leadership and all of that. So I think it's important to just recognize where you are and, and try to determine what it is that you need to be successful. So I won't, I won't speak on behalf of every different size company, but I'll give you kind of the sweet spot, which I've always operated, which is kind of like that series B to D, you know, kind of growing We're we're preparing for that hundred million mark. And, um, right. that's 10 that's historically been my sweet spot because I'm big on the, I want to build, right? Like I want to build out right. a formal CS function. And usually that's the stage in which these companies are ready for that. Um, mm -hmm. So for me, the assessment there is just trying to figure out, you know, the right people for the right, the right roles. Um, when you're early, early stage, you can hire folks who maybe are a little bit less experienced. And it's probably because you've got budget constraints. There's other, there's other things that contribute to that. Um, you maybe only have a small handful of customers maybe maybe you have 50 um and at that case do you really need a chief customer officer and a vp and a director and one person <laughs> managing this and somebody in operations probably not right so you really have to think about where are you as a company how many customers do you have what is your customers need right now what is the business need and what's the skills to do that and so i think once you map out the skills you can kind of start to figure out the people that fit into that um so the companies that i've worked at you know we I don't know that I've been, I've had the luxury of hiring inexperienced folks. So I tend to find folks that have at least, you know, maybe two plus years at the more junior level who have had experience in a CS function, maybe not under, you know, a world-class operation, but at least have had exposure to what some CS motions might look like. And from there, obviously, you know, it's creating the layers, creating the structures, but then pairing the right people to your customers, right? So if I've got let's just say, you know, GE is my company, right? My customer, that's huge, right? They're a massive enterprise organization. Even if one, one division is using my product, we're going to treat them like, a, like, a, like they're spending millions, right? Like they're, the potential wow. is there if you've got to land and expand model. I can't take my CSM with two years experience who's only worked with SMBs and put them on GE, right? right. So you've got to start to think about, well, what, is, what are we trying to achieve? What's the objective? with certain accounts and then how are we gonna get there? Somebody like GE, right? I'm gonna look for somebody who's got 10 plus years experience who understands how to navigate a complex enterprise organization, who understands the relationship development that's required there, understands how to map an organization, can do that cross-sell motion because that is again, what you're gonna to need to do in order to get higher and wider to really embed yourself there. So, you know, you gotta take a look at your customer base. You gotta take a look at your product and map out the skills. And I think from there you come up with people and titles. And I don't think that there's 
a specific title that people need, want, right? I've seen CSM one, two, three. I've seen CSM, CSAs, senior CSMs, customer success directors, right? Your nomenclature doesn't matter. I think it comes down to skill and experience. Mm -hmm. And I think if you really hone in on those two things and understand what it is that you're trying to deliver for your customers and know who they are, I think you'll find a nice recipe there. Got it. And you kind of brought a, a bit sometimes the complexity of SaaS and typically they, they start with a small business or even mid-sized business and then they go up markets to the mid-size or to the enterprise uh, segments. Now, of course, the, as you said, the, the kind of uh, team or team members that you need for each of those segments uh, need, uh, are, are different. So they are different profiles. They are not able to serve all those segments at, at the same time. But this also creates some distraction and some com extra complexity and extra layers, right? Even for the ones who are uh, leading. Do you prefer to separate both teams, mid-size and enterprise, or manage a little bit more by accounts? So what are some of the tips that you that you might be able to offer to, to, the, to the folks that are listening? Yeah, I think my biggest um, piece of advice is to, to group your customers as they are based on their behavior, right? And kind of what it is that they need. You can do size, right? Size is fine. I've seen people segment by spend. Spend is fine. Um, for right. me, I think I, I try to look at it a little differently, right? Like, how is this customer using our, our technology? What do they need from us from the partnership? What is the mutual benefit for both parties? Because I also want to assess growth. If my customer is spending a dollar today, that's great. But do they have the potential to spend $100 tomorrow? Right. I want to look at that. I want to consider that also. And so, you know, I think sometimes organizations can be a little short sighted in that because if I invest a lot in that that account who's spending a dollar, it might have big potential. Um, you know, I had I think GE is a great example. We'll stick with that. I think it's a pretty well-known brand. But, you know, yeah. at one company I worked at, GE was our customer and we had a very small piece of that business. I mean, very small. So if I was to categorize it by spend, GE would otherwise fall into like my lowest tiered segment, but they're GE. How could I give GE to put them in the small segment because they're spending a little bit of money, right? So you've got to really create, you've got to think about the bigger picture, right? Like who is the brand? What is the potential? What's the opportunity? What are the behaviors? What do they need from us? What do we want to invest? Um, and then you've got to start to figure it out. I know that I'm overcomplicating it to some extent, and I am, because I don't believe that it's as simple as just saying, great, all customers in this industry, you're going to be in one bucket and all companies of this size, you're going to be in this bucket or all customers of this spend, right? You've got to be more thoughtful about it. I think if you want to have that end return of revenue growth, because sometimes the more you invest up front, the, the more benefit you'll see longer down the road. Yeah. And something that is important, we, we are discussing a lot intrafunctional and, and across the function of uh, or within the function of customer success. I think it's really critical to kind of, especially from A to C, uh, it's really creating that, again, repeatable, profitable and scalable revenue machine. And this is created by a revenue team. Right, so it's it's a labor um, delivered by a team 
uh, not by CS or not by product or by sales or by marketing. So it's really sales, CS, marketing and product working together to create that revenue machine. And sometimes we create those silos, then we try to start blaming uh, each other if things are not going so well, that's it might be a CS problem or a sales problem or a product problem, marketing problem. So I think that it's, it's really, really important that we are able to own whatever challenges come and they always come in this kind of companies because we are really in the Champions League of business, as I like to say, uh, and unite and uh, work on, on those challenges uh, together. So what, what are some of the friction points and how, how do you sort it out with, with your peers uh, across the revenue team? Oh man, there's always points between <laughs> every team. I don't know, two teams that would tell me that they're always operating in harmony, maybe sales and marketing most closely, but um, you know, there's always going to be challenges, right? Because it comes down to having competing goals and objectives. And so, you know, honestly, if I think about how I've navigated those, unfortunately, right, you try to do the best you can. It's trying to see, see the world through the same lens, which just isn't possible. My best advice to anybody is if you can work with your executive leadership team, it's really got to come from your CEO down, but you've got to have one you got to have one goal, right? So if we go back to your, your radical focus point, right? I think exactly. this is kind of where it goes full circle. You have to all be aligned. If you have competing goals and competing agendas and objectives, it makes it very difficult for you to try to work harmoniously together, right? If you're telling your product team, go build the future, just go innovate, build something cool that doesn't exist. And you're not making any changes that are going to result in you keeping your customers because they need and want certain things to use it as it is today, right? These gaps in product are prohibitive. You're going to have churn, right? If you're not building for, for future or the larger enterprises, as you get bigger, right? You kind of break into these other markets. Well, great. Then you're going to lose sales, right? So you've got to, you've got to figure out what is the focus and kind of have one. And then everyone's got to be marching to the same drummer because when you don't, that's where that friction, I think actually is created. Um, I don't have a great way to solve it. I would say, you know, be kind to each other and assume the best intentions, but you know, you've got to try to find some common grounds if you do have competing goals, because at the end of the day, I think everyone wants the company to be successful. You've just got to work through ways that you can make that a reality. Absolutely. I think the, the rhythms uh, usually help a lot on that. It's kind of having OKRs define it and uh, revising them every week or every two weeks and uh, and having those monthlies, those quarterlies where we can deep dive on more specific challenges of the business and and align on, on those challenges and on those priorities. I think it's really, really important. And it's kind of the execution operating system. So what do you see working as best practices in terms of rhythms, rituals, processes, systems to kind of drive execution? Yeah, so I'm really big on finding one, if it's possible, one central, you know, kind of source of truth. You've got to have easy, easy attainable access to all data, right? I think that's just kind of where it starts. You shouldn't have barriers or roadblocks to information. People should be able to get at it easily without friction and also be able to understand and interpret what the data is saying, right? I think if everyone can see what's happening across the business, it's easier to understand where there's areas to improve, to optimize, right? What those points of friction are, where we're not working together. Um, so I would say start with the, the data, data democratization and making sure that everyone's got access to that information. So the second thing is, you know, making sure that all of the processes are built and established with cross-functional teams and collaboration in mind, mm -hmm. because you need to make sure that as they're designed, 
it's designed intentionally to work together. Um, I will tell you, I've only seen companies fail miserably when you build these processes in a silo, because then it just doesn't right. operate, right? Like they've got, they're, they're inherently going to impact other, other functions. So you've got to make sure that you're considering them and you're building them together. Um, I will say when it comes to the process development, people want to feel like change is happening with them, not to them. Right. So you've got to make sure that the right people are part of that, that effort to build. Then you've got to make sure that everyone has visibility into that and understands the why behind what you're doing and understands how Mm -hmm. to go then and execute it. So I'm a big fan of racy models. Um, Not everybody is. Some people feel like they over-engineer things. It's too much swim lane. Right. But I think (laughs) if you give people direction and say, here's what you're responsible for, here's what you're accountable for. Right. It, it helps make sure that things are getting done, right? You can hold someone accountable for things ultimately at the end of the day. And I think that's a big part okay. of like that process execution. So if you get a visibility, create processes collaboratively, make sure that everyone has visibility into that. And then you've got to have ways to orchestrate it. I'm big on technology. So, you know, mm-hmm. finding out the systems that are going to power your processes are going to give you the ability to make sure that things aren't only happening, but your ability to measure the impact of those happenings. Because I will tell you that there's people that build processes and deploy them and they kind of wash their hands and say, okay, great, we built that process onto the next thing. How do you know that it's working? How do you know that it's doing what you intended it to do? You need technology, you need the data, you need to make sure that you've got an easy way to operationalize it or else people aren't going to adopt it if you make it difficult, right? If they find a better mousetrap, don't let them. You want to make sure that you're the driver of, of making sure that adoption is happening. Love it. And it's really, really important, this, this topic of making it cross-functional and kind of the, the squad uh, mentality. And something that I really love to do in, uh, with the leadership team dynamics is really having uh, all the leadership team approving the OKRs of every function, and of course, of the companies. So in that, in that sense, everyone is saying, I agree with the CS OKRs. I agree and with the marketing, with product OKRs, with sales OKRs. And we agree that this all supports what we have defined together as the company OKRs across the the executive leadership team. I think this is a really, really important uh, exercise. I think that a lot of times the leadership team just defines the company OKRs and then lets everyone cascade the OKRs on themselves. And then I... I didn't know, so, but, but we didn't discuss what should be the marketing priority as a team, what should be the CS priority as a team, right? And then we got surprised, but it seems that marketing is going in one direction, CS in another, product in another, and sales in another, <laughs> and, then, and there is the conflict. That's the right? worst part, right? Is when everyone <laughs> kind of just kind of goes off and does their own. It's very interesting though, but because even when you have the OKR structure, and I've worked for a few companies that have done it, very few that have done it well. Um, right. What I would say is like, yes, yeah, so you talk about this cascading, but it's you almost all of the the KRs, right? Um, needed, they had cross-functional dependencies. And if you're not taking that into account, exactly. and to your point of not reviewing it, if I'm saying, hey, I'm going to work on this customer marketing initiative. And in order for me to execute that, I actually need marketing to design elements and, and do this exactly. other stuff, right? I'm now drawing on their resources. They haven't bought in, but in order for me to be successful, I'm dependent on their availability, right? So it's very rare that you won't have something dependent on somebody else. Very rare that you'll, in a silo, be able to do everything you need to do independently. So you've got to be bought in, right? You have to see that. I have to see what someone else is signing me up for, right? I got to, if I'm going to, 
if we're saying as a company, we're going to get these things done and I have to allocate some of my time to somebody else, maybe it's sales, right? Maybe I'm, I'm getting on sales calls and like, I've got to go and do all these pitches or I've got to be on the road more, whatever the case may be, that's fine. But I have to be visible. That has to be visible about that because it might impact my ability to do everything I've set out to. So you're going to have a lot of incomplete KRs if, if you're not considering the cross dependencies there. Right. I see nowadays there is a little bit of um, meeting fatigue and of course some fatigue as the teams are working more remotely. Um, and, and sometimes people are a little bit tired of those rhythms of weeklies, one-on-ones, dailies, et cetera, et cetera, that I think are really, really important to keep the communication up, but they can also become, uh, again, can, can create fatigue uh, across the teams. What's your take in terms of how do we create the consistency of having a rhythm with the flexibility of not making people feel that they are in a prison or they are, they're kind of being judged or uh, accountable in the bad way instead of in the positive way, right? So the way, that I, and yes, I agree. Um, <laughs> I am probably one of the things that I spend the most time doing is declining internal meetings. Um, and I don't say that facetiously, I, I really do because I'm, I was hired to do work, right? If I'm spending all of my time in internal meetings and I'm not getting value from it, right? I can't be effective at doing the job I was supposed to do. Well, everyone in the organization is the exact same way, right? Like we all have a job to do. We're spending our time unproductively in meetings that could have been an email or we could have checked a dashboard, right? You have to be very thoughtful. So the way that I've established this is I do have some recurring weekly meetings that are team meetings. I do have my one-on-ones with the staff. I do have stand-ups with other parts of my organization more in the technical uh, arena. I think it's very important to have very clear objectives and agendas for every meeting. And if you can't and you don't, you've got to be flexible enough to say, you know what, is it worth having this meeting? And my team always appreciates that about me. I make sure that any time that we are getting together, a few things, we start on time, we always end on time, and every meeting has a very clear agenda and objective, and everyone understands why they're there. Because I think the worst thing to do is to feel like you're sitting in this meeting and it's not of value to you, you're not contributing anything, and it was just a waste of your time. So in order to really get the most out of people is a thing to be very prescriptive and making sure that I've, that there is clear focus and, and um, very clear understanding of, of what's happening and why. You've gotta be able to also de- say, listen, it's not worth meeting today. Here's a dashboard, here's a report, here's where we're at. If you've got questions, that's what Slack and Teams and all these other tools are for, right? So you've got to, you, you have to be flexible in that regard, is my opinion. Don't have meetings for the sake of having them. Got it. Is there any specific point that I, we didn't cover through the free critical ingredients to scale uh, that we should have covered that you'd like to highlight? Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> so many. <laughs> I mean, this could be a full day conversation, Mike. Yeah. Um, I would say like, listen, a couple big things, just thinking about, you know, scale is change should be the only constant, no process, no person, no technology you have in place today should be there five, 10 years from now, right? Like you're, you're going to have to innovate. I always say I'm, I'm working to work myself out of a job when I've done everything I need to, or can do eventually I'm not going to be needed here. And that's okay. Put somebody else in the role. Who's going to take the company to the next level. Um, and same thing with processes, right? Everything you've built today, you got to keep pressing it. Is this still the right way to do it? I walked into a hundred organizations that have told me, well, that's the way we've always done it. And I'm telling you like, that is, that's the, that is the worst. That's like the kiss of death. 
this is the way we've always done it. Who cares how you've always done it, right? Like, how do we need to do it today? And let's evolve, right? So you've got to be comfortable with change and you've got to be pushing for that. Um, the next thing I would say, you've got to make progress and strive for that over perfection. If you are a perfectionist like myself and I want to get everything right all the time, you won't get anything done. You've got to be, you've got to be able to move quickly and move forward. And so sometimes that means it's not going to be an A. Sometimes you're going to settle for a B. Maybe it's even a B minus. But if you take a step forward, you're not staying stagnant, right? So you've always got to be pushing that envelope and moving in that direction. And I would say the last thing that I would say is a good bit of advice here is that, you know, you've got to get the team, again, going back to your radical focus, you've got to stay focused around something. So make sure that you're setting goals and you're sharing them and you're talking about them early and often. You give people visibility to that because if everyone knows what they're working towards, that maniacal focus on those, those radical focuses, you like to talk about it, is it's going to keep everyone- I like the expression maniacal. Maniacal, right? <laughs> that, that's my word. So you're going to get everybody moving forward towards that. And so I think that that is just like, it is so key, right? You've got to get everyone thinking, is, is what I'm doing in this moment, is it going to get us closer to that? Is what I'm doing today going to get me closer to that? Is what I've done this week, did it get me closer to that? And if not, we've got to rethink where we're spending our time and the work that we're doing. Love it. And let's go to the last question of the show, which is if you would have the opportunity to meet your yourself at the beginning of your journey with VC Beckett companies, what advice would you offer to your younger Christine? Oof. Delegate. <laughs> Delegate, delegate, delegate. Um, I listen, I have the same story as many kind of young managers coming into it, right? Especially if you were an individual contributor who was promoted, right? You were promoted because you did really great work as an individual contributor. But being a great manager is not the same thing. And so I used to think that the only way for my team to do great work is if they did it exactly the way that I would do it. And in fact, it was like, you know what? That's not good enough. Let me do it. You've got to be able to coach, mentor, and you've got to be okay with knowing the fact that you're going to have some A players, you're going to have some B players, you're going to have to figure out how to up level your C's and you're going to get rid of your D's. But you've got to be able to delegate. You've got to pass the work on because it's going to enable and empower you to do better work for the company to move things forward. So that would be my advice. Christy, let it go. Give the work to somebody else. Move on to the next project. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. It's very spontaneous. Christy, thank you so much. And so it was great to have you back on the show. Oh, thank you, Mike. My pleasure. So and to our community, thanks for being on that side. This was Christy Falteruso, the VP of CS at Client Success and also the founder of CS Real Simple. So stay tuned. We still, we keep bringing you the best of the best. So you keep scaling. Speak soon. Take, take care.